Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 573. Hello, Kyle. Hi, Chris. Weird that I just said hello to you since we've been sitting across from each other for a while. Yeah. It's the illusion that this just happened. I always like to think they're just thinking of us floating in a void. Until we, we start talking to them. Yeah. And we actually don't even really exist. Yeah. We're just pure... At, we're the perfect computer program that's creating all podcasts. Oh. These are all oh. synthesized voices. <gasps> you just blew my synthesized mind. Yeah. And I just became self-aware. What does that mean? That as part of the computer program, that knows it's part of the computer program. All right. Well, since you're self-aware, you should trim that beard and get a haircut. All right. I'm going to go rogue like Lore. <laughs> what? <laughs> Data's brother. The bad one. Yeah. Why? Really? Right? Is it is it time for Evil Kyle? Oh, that'd be good. But Evil Kyle would have no beard. That'd be weird. Would you be... Let's see what my chin looks like. Clark, Kyle Clark or would your evil twin be Car- Clark, Clark Kyle? Kyle? Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. That's definitely how that happens. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. This episode is Robert Patrick, who I had worked with once before. And uh, you were both superheroes. We were both superheroes. He was Hawkman, I was Green Arrow. And uh, I love how casually you can toss that off. Isn't that nice? That amazing sense. Uh, that was pretty fun. He was Hawkman, I, I was, was Green, Green Arrow. Arrow. Literally. <laughs> well, the cartoon, no, literally. But uh, he. And I didn't know. I, you know I, haven't really, I didn't really get to talk to him much that day because we were all working in a group. And. Um, Right from the get-go, fucking coolest guy in the world. Super cool, dude. And with amazing stories. Robert Patrick is one of my new favorite people. Yeah, mine too. And uh, we captured his soul temporarily for about an hour and change well, right the here. the digitized version of the exists within the uh, podcast Matrix. That oh, yeah, this is part of the, uh, this is part of the extension. We're getting of real the William di- Gibson up in here today. The digital, yeah, the digital consciousness, uh, yeah. the reality that is uh, swirling around in your brain that may or may not have actually existed. But as long as you, as long as you feel like you had the memory of it, yeah, then, then it's real. Then it's as real as possible. It's like a total recall. Kind Get of your ass to Moz. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Robert Patrick is uh, promoting the television show Scorpion, which premieres Monday, September 22nd at 9 p.m. on CBS. And here's right now on our podcast, number 573, with Robert Patrick. Now entering Nerdist.com. says hey oh my god that's hilarious yeah yeah Catherine Catherine McPhee she was I co-star she was in um 
We did Rock of Ages together. That's Actually, what she said. Yeah, she was basically, oh, the Catherine McPhee story is amazing. She was basically just like a backup singer. And her voice clearly like blew everyone else away. Like when in a chorus of people, you could spot, you knew who she was. Right. And we went away for a couple months. And when we came back to do the show again, the, the live show again, Rock of Ages, they were like, oh, Catherine can't be on it. She's, in Amer- she's on American Idol. And we're like, what? I mean, it made sense because her voice is amazing, and now she's like Catherine McPhee. Yeah, yeah. So, I had no idea. I didn't really know much about her. Uh, but uh, my wife and my daughter said, uh, oh, yeah, she's uh, American Island. She did this show, Smash. And I, neither one of those I happened to watch. But then when my 80... 80- Two-year-old man chimed in. Oh yeah, that cat McPhee. Hey, I tell you what, there. I tell you what, there. I'm gonna watch that show. You know, that's that's your Georgia coming out right that's there. It. Hey, I tell you what, there, son. Hey, boy, I tell you, I'll watch that show. I'm gonna watch that show. You gonna give me a headshot? You go. <laughs> he's forever and every time. Every time I talk to him, he's like, did "You get, him? Did you get my headshot. You <laughs> Sign it to me. Sign it to Big uh, Bob. Big Dad. <laughs> Sign it to Big Bob. Is that uh, is that the inner Robert Patrick Big Bob? Is that is that the, is that the Big Bobby? Big yeah, Bobby. Yeah, I, I was little Bobby for so many years growing up in Georgia, and uh, you know my father's Robert, and and uh, yeah, I can I can fall back on that character quite a few, you know, quite a bit. It's funny, Big because, Bob. Big Bob, because I grew up I grew up in the South too, and I, I'm Where are not you from Tennessee, Memphis. Oh no, I and love Memphis. It's a good town. It's a great town. We shot, and she was there. We shot uh, Walk the Line there. Oh, oh, well, of course. And uh, yeah, oh yeah, Isaac Hayes. That's right. You, yeah, Sue. I'm, uh, the the lady I'm referencing yeah, 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 here Sue. on the radio is uh, is uh, Sue Patricolo, who was also sitting in the background for the Sean Bean <laughs> podcast as well. So she's 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 no stranger to Nerdist podcast. She's no stranger. It's a podcast. It is a podcast. This is a new whole realm for me, Chris. Yes, it's uh, it's basically uh, it's a loose conversation about whatever the fuck we want to talk <laughs> that's about. That's awesome. But yeah, so so Memphis, which you shot, uh, walked the line, and I shot uh, I shot a Elvis the miniseries with uh, Johnny Reese. Yeah, and we actually shot on Graceland. And oh wow, that must have been. Uh, oh, it's, it's, awesome. not, it's not easy to do. Yeah, no, that the, the estate was behind it, and uh, I love that 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 city. It's a good the, town. All the streetcars they were doing the restoration in downtown. I think, yeah, yeah, we they were, were trying. They were trying to bring it back Memphis. Uh, Memphis fell into something of a disrepair for a while. It was a little. Uh, you know, it was, it was a little bit of a. It just needed to be clean, like 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 spruced up a bit, and they they really they did, and so a lot of it, you know, like it's it's cool now, and people can hang out there. And you were born there. <laughs> I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, but I grew up in Memphis. And grew up in Memphis, yeah. right on. But that voice, it's sort of like you said, that Big Bob voice. Like the a lot of times, the voice in my head is this guy. Hey there, son. What yeah. the what you doing there, yeah. boy? Like I hear that. That's the voice I hear in my head a lot of the time, even yeah. though I haven't lived there for. Two decades. Yeah, it's fun to draw back on. There's so many guys that when I was growing up, my baseball coach, his accent, you know, he's kind of a, one of those high-pitched Southerners. Bobby, get on over here. And that, <laughs> you know, I told you to throw your bow your neck out there, son. Come on now. The funny thing about those guys is a lot of times they're like big overweight guys, but they have these like, hey there, son, what you guys are? Come on down and everybody pull up a chair, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. It's like the guy with a giant bib with a plate of ribs. But he's got the highest pitch voice, and that the you know. Yeah. Uh, it's I miss I I do 
I like the South. Yeah, I, I've I've poked fun at the South a lot over the years, but in a but in a way that is a, like I I love it though. I absolutely I love going back. I love the South. I, I love the heritage, and uh, it's funny when you when you come to Hollywood, you know you kind of try not to play into that Southern uh, accent that you have or your heritage in a way because it can people out here can kind of assume that you're just you know Gomer Pyle for right. Christ's sake. You know what I mean? You, right. you, you want to be taken serious, so you kind of. Put it on the, you know, try to lose it as fast as you can and, and have a, just a Midwestern accent. Right. Because obviously, I'm sure that audition would have gone a lot different if you were like, I'm looking for John Connor. And they were like, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not really yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this is the right guy. <laughs> Where's that boy? I'm a goddamn Terminator. Yeah. yeah. What you looking at? What? What the hell? Have you seen this boy? <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have worked. There's a little bit of the southern uh, southern draw in there, but, uh, yeah, you lose that quick. When you, you want to be taken serious out here, you kind of distance yourself, I think. I don't know, personally. Uh, well, it's just that they'll they'll put you in a box. If they yeah. think, like, oh, that's all that yeah, guy does. That. They would rather know yeah. that you can can do it if you need to, but yeah. you don't just do that. Yeah. I like going back to it. Southern, southern, the southern uh, accent is fun to go back to. The True Blood guy. Well, the True Blood guy. Yeah, you've uh, you've uh, uh, done your homework there. Yeah, True Blood was. It was funny when I went to the read through for that. There's so many actors that are uh, European on the show doing southern accents that uh, I remember the table read. I think you know they kind of took notice of damn that sounds good <laughs> that's that's an authentic southern accent how, right there how did you get that accent how do you do that it's interesting i want to do um i'm working with uh, a guy i haven't been working that much lately with him but um uh jerry grinnell who's a dialect coach from ireland he's a very good one he's he works with johnny depp and other people for accents and i want to learn a standard uh english uh, traditional European accent mm-hmm. so that I can start to try to go do... Uh, start taking some work away from them. Taking some work away from yeah, the exactly. Europeans, exactly. <laughs> They're I think, coming I over think here. it'd be worthy. But it's a tough, that's a tough dialect to do, you know? It's tough because I think... Uh, accent. We, we, can, we, can sort of do, um, we can sort of do a general British accent, but I'm sure that if you were to really dissect it, it'd be like, no, that word was from this region and this word was from that region. Like, yeah. not, like what is the actual... like? To them, all the accents sound completely different. Yeah. They can distinguish between a Cockney accent yeah. and, a, and an upper crust. Uh, I try to do it whenever – I don't know about, about you, but when I'm around people that have the accent, I immediately try to start mimicking them. It drives them crazy. <laughs> Which they love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they hate it. You know? but, but you know, most of the time, they're trying to do an American accent, so they're mimicking me. But it's got to be just as hard for them to distinguish between – Georgia, Texas, Tennessee, you know, like the, uh, Mississippi, like uh, the, the drawl varies yeah. and the, 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 the intonations vary a bit. I'm not even sure I could discern all of them. Yeah, it's I, I'm not sure I could either. Uh, you know, like uh, the New Orleans accent is actually rooted deep with uh, it's more of an Irish uh, accent that kind of evolved over the years. Um, and that, you know, wow, what a hybrid doing an Irish accent, Southern version of a New Orleans accent, which is probably one of the most difficult ones to really try to pull off. Yeah. My stepmom is from, I believe she was from Mississippi and in Mississippi, at least with her accent, they add syllables to single syllable words. So it'd be like, 
this wall right here is made of briac. <laughs> <laughs> like brick gets two syllables. Briac. It's yeah. briac. It's cement. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's true. You can stretch it out. Do, you know, I the first, I would never expect you to remember this because it was it was quite a few years ago. But I because uh, you were Hawkman on the Batman series. Yeah. And I played Green Arrow. Were you really? I was. And there was one recording session where, and Andrea Romano, Andrea Romano was the casting, like direct the oh, casting, yeah, yeah. the voice director. And it was so much fun because we were all, like, all, everyone was in a room at the same time. And it wasn't just one at a time. And it was so much fun to do the show that way. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. I, I, you, I thought you looked familiar. Yeah. Do you, have you, do, 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 do you do a ton of voiceover? I don't do it that much uh, anymore. I, I narrate, funny enough, yeah. uh, Appalachian Outlaws for the History Channel. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that show. It's about ginseng harvesting in the Appalachian Mountains. No, but I'm going to watch the shit out of it now. It's it's really cool. And I do uh, I don't do like a standard narration. It is slightly uh, you know with the southern uh, tonality to it, and uh, it works pretty good. I'm pretty happy with it. But your your voice is good because you can. You could dip down into the husk. You can get down there a little bit. Well, that one is, uh, well, in Appalachia, the ginseng season only lasts three months out of the year. That's <gasps> it's, that, it's that kind of thing. I did not even, I didn't even realize that ginseng was an industry of it's the Appalachian It's a huge, mountains. huge black market industry, and the, and the, uh, the show is uh, is really interesting because these guys go up and do it, and they're they're going on other people's lands, and they're poachers, and it's you know it's it's kind of like in the moonshine realm, right. you know, and and you can just fucking shoot people and on your property. People are shooting people. There's yeah. a lot of guns. There's a lot of things. They're blowing up stuff. It's it's pretty crazy. Is this the, is this a current Appalachian yeah. ginseng trade? Yeah. It's not like the old like in the old days. This is like this now. is now. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and the more. Uh, you know, the braver you are, the more risk you'll take, and then guys getting themselves into all sorts of trouble. It's pretty neat, you know. I, I, I'm sure they staged some of it, but uh, Do, so the show does the show follow a regular group of characters? Yeah. Okay. It yeah. Does. Yeah. 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 It's. Uh, geez, I wish I could remember the producers' names, but they're they're a really great team, and and the footage they get is just amazing because it's up in Appalachia. Nobody really knows what goes on up there. You know? I know it does sort of seem like. Uh, it's like going to the bottom of the ocean. I was just thinking the same thing. It's like there's just like there's probably creatures up there that no one's ever There's seen. No <laughs> it's like what the hell is that? <laughs> it's a, a, a like a colossal squirrel or something yeah. that you've never seen. But it's like well, they have squirrels the size of bears up in the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting, and I, I enjoy doing it a lot. Uh, and uh, what? How did we get on? How did I get on that? We were, we're talking, talking about voiceover because voiceover. You, you were Hawkman. That's it. And I've I've done. I've done them over the years, but I, I, I've just been so busy um, with the theatrical part of my career that I don't yeah. really have time about uh, time to do it. Yeah, and finding time to do, you know, I'm missing out on job opportunities uh, because I'm already booked on something else. You yeah, know? And, and that's so crowded that I don't really know how I can squeeze. More time. I'm sure your days are very crammed. Yourself. They're crammed, but you know, like it's still. But and but you also because you have a family and you have yeah. uh, and you have work. I don't have that. I don't have a wife or kids, and so I feel like that. When people go, how do you get so much stuff done? It's like, well, because all of my time is mine, so I don't. You know, like yeah. there isn't anything. Like if I were married, of course, and I had kids, I wouldn't do as much work. Yeah. So, you know, I think it really – I'm amazed at people who have a full career and a family. Like yeah. that – the family stuff is just 24 hours a day. 
Yeah, it is. And, and uh, you know, I'm really lucky with the the current job I'm doing now. I'm actually here in L.A. filming. The Dust Till Dawn series? Uh, but that's actually in Texas. Okay. And the one I'm filming here and and uh, is, is Scorpion. This, Scorpion. This new show f- uh, for CBS. Yeah, I've been seeing the billboards for and it. it. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they're really uh, marketing it well. Uh, filmed over here at uh, Manhattan Beach Studios. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, f- for instance, doing From Dust Till Dawn, I was in Texas living there for six months. And that, that's hard because you miss your wife and kids. Yeah. And then trying to, you know, uh, I did do the Appalachian Outlaw uh, voiceovers while I was down there. But to try and do, like, cartoons and other yeah, stuff, yeah, it's yeah. really, really difficult. You really to have to pick it your... T- it's, I mean, it... It is a nice. Th- there is a nice reward in that when you you know if you're a struggling actor for a while and then all of a sudden you get to a point where you're like, I don't have time to do that project. Like that's <laughs> such a great feeling of like you know you want to do because you your instinct is I got to take everything because I don't know when I'm going to work. And you're like, no, I'm okay. I'm working. I'm I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it's a great feeling uh, when you get to that point. You know, uh, and I'm enjoying it. And it's it's just a great time to be an actor right now. There's so many opportunities. Uh, in television and film uh, that really, if you're not working, you know, I mean, I, I find that hard to believe. There's just, there's just so many different outlets and places to go with great writing, uh, so many channels and, and uh, shows that are being produced right now. So if you're an actor out there, you should be working, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a great time. I know you started working... A handful of years before T2, but was that really the thing that like... Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, I, start, I came out here, man, I came out here in 1984. I wanted to get into the movie business. I didn't know a soul. I lived in my car. Some of the blocks around here I slept <laughs> in, you know. Uh, auditioned for a play, got to play, and the next thing you know, uh, uh, while I was doing that, uh, Roger Corman, a buddy of mine was working down at Roger Corman Studios in, in Venice Beach. I auditioned for this biker movie. 1984 got it and uh, that director recommended me to another director and I was off to the Philippines. I did like six or seven movies for for Corman before I got my SAG card or an agent. Oh wow. And uh, then I got them both simultaneously and uh, did another play and uh, auditioned for Die Hard 2. It was the first big movie I auditioned for after I'd had an agent and uh, I got that part, got cast on the spot, and then right after that, I did another play, and and T two came along, and I got that. That poor John McClane just has the worst luck with terrorists <laughs> everywhere that's, he goes. Yeah, terrorists. <laughs> that first movie, Die Hard, was just phenomenal. And unlike anything else, I mean, that was one of those. It's, you see this fucking movie, and they blow it, and then uh, and then um, uh, the, but the the cast was phenomenal, yeah, and it was it was so well done. Who was Alan Rickman? Rickman. Alan Rickman. Yeah, yeah. This, this is really the first exposure we had to Alan Rickman. Yeah, and he was so great in that movie. Everybody was great in that Mr. movie. Mr. Bruce McLean. Bruce was fantastic. He was great. He was really great because he was he had kind of bopped around a little bit because Moonlighting was huge. Sure. And it was a time when it was less common for TV people to cross over to film. They mm-hmm. were very separate islands, and some he did this. I think maybe it was this movie Blind Date with John Larroquette and Kim Basinger, and mm-hmm. that did well. Mm-hmm. But then, like Die Hard was the thing that just—that was the thing that made him like a movie star. But he—I think he was still doing Moonlighting at the same time. So yeah, was, I think you're right. I think you're right. He might have—he might have farmed out to do that. I mean, he's been—he's been a movie star for like 30 years now, which is crazy. It's crazy to think about that. It's true. But uh, do you? What is what's the other part of the longevity? Do you think? Because it seems 
you seem like a super friendly guy, and I feel like that's really important in this because, like, if someone recommends you, oh, you got to work with this guy, that that you know you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're an asshole to people, then it's sooner or later that's going to run out. Yeah, I you know uh, my 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 father kind of instilled in me that you know you you want to be a, a guy that people want to work with, not around, mm. and. You can you can approach that by being prepared, uh, you know, be, just being professional, and that carried over into my career as an actor. And I, you know, I, I you know, you, you you just go into every job and you, you you try to treat people like you would want to be treated yourself, you know, to try in, until they prove to be an asshole. Yeah. And then, you, you know, <laughs> you treat me well, I'll treat you better. You know, it's that kind of a thing. And uh, uh, you treat me bad, and you know. Uh, so I've, I've just sort of been like that. And I think that if you work hard and, you know, you show up and you, it's, it's a real easy job. You, you, you show up, hit your mark, be on time and, uh, be prepared and it should, it should all take care of itself. You it know? should, but you know, it's a business where that brings, that brings a lot of baggage around it too. You yeah, know, there's a yeah. lot of, I mean, of all, of all the businesses I can think of, I think it's, you know, besides, let's say, you know, athletics. But even in athletics, people are from a very early age who are successful professional sports people were, they did that in school and they were successful at it. Right. But acting is one of those things where all of a sudden your life can change and the landscape of your life is dramatically different and you might not be prepared for it. And so if you have weird issues, that may not make them better, you know. Mm-hmm. But it just attracts – it attracts a really – you know, some people don't approach it that way. And I feel like guys who sort of approach it like like it was a job, you know. It's a job yeah. and you show up and you're respectful and you do this and you do your job and you go home. Those seem to be the happiest people in yeah. business. Yeah. I, I I agree. I uh, you know I mean I, I I'm an artist and I know I'm an artist and I I know I'm a craftsman and uh, and you know I've had this conversation with other actors. I won't sit here and name drop, but uh, the the ones that really approach it that way. I mean it's 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 something that you can continue to evolve at. Um, you you're never going to master it you're never going to make it it's never going to be perfect you're always striving to do something so that's what keeps it really interesting and then the rest of the stuff just the way you treat people i get, I, th- I think that's kind of how you're raised yeah. i mean i think that's your parents i mean it's uh, you know or the environment you came from i mean if uh, if you're decent you know uh it, it it it'll show that way you came from a big family right you have a big I, i'm the, uh, the 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 uh, head of five uh, the, the the oldest of five kids, and uh, yeah, some. I mean, it's a, a crazy, crazy, wonderful family. We're we're all nutty, but you know, there was a work ethic that was that was passed down. So, and you, your brother's a musician, right? He is. He's, you know the band uh, Nine Inch Nails? He was in. <laughs> he was in Nine, he Inch, was in Nine Inch Nails, but he was in Filter too, right? And he is the he is the man behind. He's the creative guy behind Filter. Yeah. Uh, guitars for Nine Inch Nails, and then and and uh, it was actually living with me. We were living out in uh, no, uh, um, North Hollywood, California. My wife and I, and uh, near the he, NoHo Arts District. Well, I'll tell you a funny story, Chris. You'll like this. <laughs> okay, we were we were living at at the Hollywood Tower apartment on Franklin and oh Argyle. yeah, of you course. know the one right That's across from Cafe One Hundred and One. Yeah, You're very very cool place. When I was living there, there was nothing but Playboy bunnies and Josh Brolin was up in the penthouse. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was living up in the penthouse. Uh-huh. He wasn't living with the Playboy bunnies, but you know, I'm it, sure if you probably paid him a visit, I don't know. There was, there was something maybe, but, uh, um, Trent Reznor, 
my brother, uh, it was very exciting times because they were touring. They'd been touring for four years on that Pretty Hate Machine record. Yeah. And I had done Die Hard 2 and gotten T2 while they were touring. So we were both kind of like, done it. And as a matter of fact, I'd gone to Jim Cameron and said, there's this great band that I know about, that you're going to know about if you don't know about them yet. But if we put their music in our movie, it'll be phenomenal. And it's a band called Nine Inch Nails, and it's industrial rock. And he kind of looked at me and said, I, and I never heard of them. And I said, yeah, that's the point. You're, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're cresting right now. It's, they're going to be. And uh, they ended up going with Guns N' Roses because mm -hmm. Arnold liked Guns N' Roses. And, and, and I kept saying, no, this song, Head Like a Hole, I've been listening to it while I do the, I do the you know, I train while I'm training as a T-1000. I'm listening to nothing but Nine Inch Nails. And these guys, these guys you know. So anyway, they, they get big and, 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 and all that happens at the same time. But I remember Trent Reznor, my brother, coming into my apartment at Hollywood uh, Towers and sitting down and saying, we're exhausted. We've been looking for a house where we're going to move in and we're going to record the record. We think we found it. And he goes, Trent goes, here, here's a picture of it. And he hands me Helter Skelter. And I open it up. And he's got, you know, posted the, the Sharon Tate house. Oh, my God. And I look down, and there it is. And I go, you got to be kidding me. And he goes, no. Think of the marketing. Think of the publicity. <laughs> Think of, you know, it's the place. And it was like so, wow, man, for real? Okay. Well, you guys are, you know, I can you And know, did I they end up going it. there? They did. Oh, they, did. they moved in. And they started recording. He set the recording up in the room where oh this horrible thing happened. Oh my God. <laughs> Shut up, Kyle. <laughs> so they said it. Someone else said it. <laughs> so they set it up right there. And I went up to visit my brother. And I was kind of, you know, he'd been touring with those guys for four years. And, I, you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've known Trent from Cleveland. And, you know, I, I knew these guys. And. And I'm up there kind of walking around and feeling like a big brother, worried about his little brother and, and checking out what's going on. And, man, it, the vibe up there, you know, I was, it was just intense. Anyway, to wrap the story up, my brother, a couple of months later, comes back and says, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of the band. I'm just done. I'm just, I can't live up there anymore. I've been up there for, you know, whatever it was, six months. I think I'm going, you know, it's, it's really affecting me. I just can't be there. And I said, so what are you going to do? And he goes, well, I... You know, I've got this demo I did of this song, Hey Man, Nice Shot, yeah. that I wrote in Mom's Garage. Oh, my God. My, my, my parents, uh, actually, it was my parents, uh, where they lived in North Carolina. They were living in North Carolina. I've got this song, and I said, well, let me hear it. And uh, I played it, and I like, damn, Richie. I mean, this is fucking great. You know, this is, I've never heard anything quite so intense. You did this in Mom's basement? And he goes, yeah. I go, dude, and I handed it to Brian Witten and um, oh my God, I'm, I'm blanking. Alan Schechter, okay. who's, who's no longer with us. Anyway, he was working with Joel Silver, and uh, Joel Silver I had uh, worked with with Die Hard too, and and I knew these guys from there. And they took that song and they gave it to Joel. And Joel put it in the Demon Knight soundtrack, and my brother got a record deal with Warner Brothers for seven records, Jesus. just like that, 
based on a demo he had done, an eight-track demo uh, of Hey Man, Nice Shot. And I'll tell you what, the, the release, the single of Hey Man, Nice Shot is essentially what I heard that day. And you know how powerful that song is. Well, yeah, I worked the rest at, is history. I worked at K-Rock at the time when that <laughs> song came not. out. Did I you? did. And that song was in heavy, heavy rotation. Yeah. Like we would, I always knew that a song was that they were pushing the shit out of a song and it was big when in a four, four hour shift, the song would come up twice. It would come up at the beginning of the shift and it would come up at the end of the shift. That meant that like if a song came up twice in a couple hours, that meant heavy, heavy rotation. And Hey Man, Nice Shot had a great lifespan at K-Rock. Yeah, it's, uh, my, my, my brother's been uh, living off that for years. <laughs> so, but no, but he's, uh, I mean, he came back with another. He had another big hit, too. I'm not, I, I love my brother. Take, take a Picture was another like great hit. So he's got, he's, got more than, uh, he's got more than one. He's got uh, some great music he's been doing out there. And he's still touring. And, uh, well, wait a minute. Great soundtracks and... Wait a minute. So take a picture at the end. He goes, uh, hey, Dad, what do you think about your son now? And I'm like, that guy has issues. <laughs> well, what I tell you about my family? What I tell you about my family, right? It's a, it's a wonderful, very loving family, but it's kind of nutty. We're all kind of nutty. And uh, yes, we, we all have a little issue. When you hear a song about that, do you call me to go, you doing okay, buddy? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. How you doing, little brother? Yeah, you Okay. He's a good guy. I love that kid. He's he's so talented too, man. What's and, the age uh, difference between you guys? Ten years. Oh, ten years. Okay. So it's interesting. Uh, I don't know. Did you come from a large family? No, or? I'm an only child. Basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. So well, well, when I was leaving to go to Hollywood, you know, this is after a couple of failures in my life. Sure. You know, I went away to college. I went to play football. I quit football. I quit college. I kicked around in Ohio. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I kept going back to this crazy idea. I wanted to be an actor. I had acted as a child in plays and stuff. And I don't know where it came from, but it just kept coming back. This is what you want to do. This is what you want to do. And you don't know anybody. And you don't know how you're going to get started in Hollywood. So who do you, you know, what do you do? You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, my brother, funny story. He'll deny this if you ever have him on this podcast. I never remember. He came and I remember being in my mom and dad's kitchen. He looked at me and goes... <laughs> This is hysterical. He was like 10 or 13 or something. You're going to go out to Hollywood and you're going to fall flat on your ass. You're going to get involved in drugs and you're going to get in porn and you're going to get all this crazy shit's going to happen to you. You can't do this. You can't leave. You know, he, he was so scared about me going and just heard all this negative stuff. And I just looked at him and I said to him, and I remember it, someday you might be able to make a living with your guitar. And I left. And, uh, you know, the rest is the rest. I mean, it's... Uh, he's you set an living. example. You, you, exactly. I went out and said, you know, you can, you can, you can give this a shot. There's nothing to be afraid of. Go, go try. But uh, anyway, that's what a, kind of a very personal story, it's Chris. A good, I told it's, you. It's a good... I'm embarrassed, Sue. No, it's a good story because... Sue, what are you laughing at? Oh, yeah, my, <laughs> my publicist is laughing at me. I love it. She, it's a good story because, particularly at that time, I mean, now I sort of feel like, yeah, people don't really have any excuses to pursue things because you know you can put stuff on the internet it's very easy to just make mm -hmm. your own thing but at that time you know when you came out here in 84 yeah how the fuck do you get started like where do you because you it's expect it's just the concept of making a getting a demo reel is expensive making video making tape it's expensive how do you how and do you i had do that? no how do you idea i had no idea any of this. I was like oblivious to this. It was ignorance was bliss. It's probably better that you didn't know because you would have gone, oh, there's no fucking way. Yeah, if I would have known how tough it was, I don't know if I would have done it. I understand my parents looking at me just 
petrified right. at the idea that I was going to go to Hollywood. I mean, your father, I, you know, he's, you know, I have no way to help you. Yeah. I know. This is my deal. I want to do this. You know, it's a little bit of that kind of, what did hey, he Dad, do? what do you think about me now? Yeah. <laughs> what did uh, what'd your dad do? He was a, he's a successful guy. He uh, worked for Lockheed Aircraft Corporation. Then he went to MIT. He got his master's from MIT. He's a Sloan Fellow. Oh, wow. And uh, I know I put off a very blue-collar uh, vibe, but, uh, you know, my dad went into banking. And uh, I kind of grew up uh, all over the Midwest. He would go different banks and... Uh, he was an executive and, and did all right for himself. What was your favorite town? Oh, I love Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I really love Atlanta. I did love going to high school in Detroit, though. And Detroit's, a, Detroit's very dear to my heart. It's a badass city, and uh, it's really suffering right now. But I, 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 uh, I love Detroit. I had some great, great times there. And, um, yeah. I mean, they, all the places like Boston was cool, Dayton was cool. It was, it was all cool. Detroit gets a bad rap, but I think uh, it's just a piece of Detroit that actually is downtown. Yeah, yeah but every downtown. but all the other like we were just I just performed there. Uh, you do stand up, right? I do. Damn, you do it all, bro. I like to stay busy. <laughs> um, you're you're afraid to stop. I can't stop. You can't stop. Can I'm, you? I'm like the plot of the movie Speed. I you're, can't slow down. Yeah. If I slow down, I'm going to explode. <laughs> Uh, I, seriously, I'm curious, though. Like, how much sleep do you get? You know, it's interesting that you ask that because I've just recently realized I sleep for five hours exactly. No more, no less. I sleep for five fucking hours and I can't. I've been. I was so tired. I've just I haven't I hadn't had a day off in a month and I finally get a day off. And I fucking I woke up at six a.m. Like I, <laughs> you can't. Like, no, you can't help yourself. And I try to force myself to go back to sleep, but there's nothing. But you have so many things going on. I mean, because I see you, uh, you host that show, uh, the after thing. Yeah, Talking Dead. Talking Dead and uh, uh, And, and stand-up and and this other, all this Nerdist stuff, which is fun. Are you acting at all? Are you doing any? No, uh, no one ever asked me to do that. And it's not, my, someone would have to come along and say like, hey, do you want to be in this cool thing? And I'd have to go, sure. But for me to go out, I, I, don't, love the, I don't love the audition process. Right. And I'm so busy with other things that for me to start trying to act and film now would be really silly, I think. Right, right, and, right. And time-consuming. And so someone would have to really just go, I understand you that. be in this. And then I'd go, okay, if it's cool, I'll do it. But um, That's the first hurdle that young actors need to get aud- over. Auditioning? Well, and I'm going to say it from this point of view, that it's... it's, it's it's actually a chance to perform. Mm-hmm. So any young actor that's out there listening, it's a chance to do a part that you might not ever get to do. So it's a performance, and you should look at it from that point of view. You should, And this is how I've done it over the years. I'm going to go in and be the best I can be at this role and take it as if there's cameras rolling and, mm-hmm. and just go for it. And uh, it's it's worked. Fuck, where were opinion. you in the 90s, man? I, I mean, I know where you were. <laughs> but I learned but, that. But I learned that, that. I learned that. To me, I, it was just an opportunity to go get rejected by a mildly interested casting director who was, was angry about things that had nothing to do with me. <laughs> well, that's that's <laughs> – I ran into those people too. But, I mean, you try to – you know, elevate, uh, uh, you know, at least the concept of what, what's going on. And, uh, I, you know, I learned that from an a, a acting coach that I still work with. You know, you've got to get past that thing. And once, once I did, now I don't audition anymore. But uh, 
Well, the, that getting over that hurdle is actually part of the test as to whether or not. Because I think if you can still make something come alive with reading opposite someone who's read it a million times and just wants to go home, yeah. and you can still somehow because it really is. In its in its best form, it's a chemistry that happens, and it's like I feel like what you do in the room is probably not the same as what you're going to do on the set because you're surrounded by different people with different chemistry, mm-hmm. and so I'm guessing. And so um, if you can still do a good job where someone's reading their lines like this, you know, then it, then that's an accomplishment. Like that mm-hmm. weeds out a lot of people. I mm-hmm. think. And mm-hmm. I, I got weeded out time and time again. That well, way. you have to take the power back as an actor. You have to turn the circumstances around so you're not the one that's being auditioned. How do you do that? You make them the ones that are being auditioned. Well, I never even thought to. I don't even know how to do yeah, that. Yeah, it's just reverse it all up. It's like I'm, I'm actually auditioning the director. Oh, that's... Here's how I'm going to do it. This is the way I'm going to do it. Let's see how you react to that, you know? That's you a... just got to change it up a little bit. This is, I, I don't want to divulge too many of my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> There's the a lot of them out there. No, but it's all you don't about, have to audition anymore. The, well, I occasionally... Well, well, for, for the record, though, Chris, the, I, I, I'm on the record. My agents know this. My manager knows this. I will audition. They just don't make you. You get to go offered good stuff. But I will. Yeah. And I, I, I still have that out there, that if there's something I want to do and there's something you think I should do and, and if it's something I really want to go after, I got no qualms with that. Yeah. I'm an actor. That's what I do. I mean, it's not beneath me. That's good. And I can't tell you how many roles I've gotten as a result of having that attitude. Well, because yeah. people go like, what do, you, what do you mean? The guy will read? Yeah, I'll read with the director anywhere, anytime. You nice. name the place, baby, I'm there. I think a lot of people, I'm probably I'm one of those people, just hate the audition process so much. They're like, oh, if I don't have to do this anymore, I'm not going to fucking read it. You know? But that's the difference between, you know, that's the craftsman part coming in of like, I want to you know, get into, I want to dive into every piece of this and dissect it and do it and understand it and learn it. Because, you know, again... Maybe it's something you don't want to do once you audition for it. You go, oh, you know, actually, this didn't feel like Then you like should have the... gone. Then you should have gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, if you're not going to stand behind your work, why go through the motion? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've done that before uh, as well where it's, it's, you know, over the years. I mean, I've been doing this 30 years. And some say I'll read it and go like, you know, this is a piece of shit. I don't respond to this. I don't. Re- I'm, I'm, I don't have – it doesn't affect me. I read this. I don't – why am I doing this? Yeah. Did you do that before – you really had the luxury of picking and choosing things? <laughs> no. <laughs> no <of course. laughs> yeah, you're clawing your way in, baby. You're going for it. Anything and everything, you know. Yeah. Anything and everything. But that's how you learn. That's, uh, that's how you uh, get the experience you need, you know. What was the... I think that's the... I think that's true of every actor out there. You got to figure out your way to get in there. Of course. I mean, you go back and look at any actor's career over the years. They started somewhere. Right. You know, doing something. And it wasn't where they're at now. You know, you have to... Claw your way into the business and um, and be ready when the opportunities present themselves. And then not choke, you know, when you read Jim Cameron's <laughs> script and go, oh, my God, I'm the new fucking Terminator. I mean, you know, Jesus Christ. I'm, I, you know, I went in and I threw that script down on his desk and said, I can do this. And I said that partly to convince myself I could do this after, you know, you're about to do the screen test for it. And, you know, you know, you're realizing this is the opportunity of a lifetime, and I hope I don't blow it. Yeah, you know what I mean. So what was that? He didn't. He didn't. He didn't actually let me read the script until after I'd already done these improvisational auditions for him, and they had filmed them. Then they let me read the script. Oh, so they, you did? You did? You, you Terminator improvised? What? What did you do? I created what you saw. Just what did they give you a setting? Create, or an, they... create an intense presence. That's fantastic. That was the audition. 
And, and, what, it, and what you see in the movie is what I did in that audition. And how I knew to do what I was doing, I have no idea. Well, I guess it was just the right thing. It was the right thing at the right time. I mean, I, I, I know what I was thinking when I was doing it. I can relive that. You know, I mean, it was, and there was all sorts of things. I was, I was like, you immediately went into the predator world, like, you know, how do animals look? And, wow, I mean, if I slow myself down, look real stealthy like a shark, it'll be cool. You know, I, I was just free-flowing, just going, and they were rolling on me. And I thought I was like an Indian, like, you know, sense, you know sensing somebody was near me, you know, and just slowed it all down and made it more still. That's and, really and fun. And that's what grabbed him. That's fun to go opposite. Like, I think, cause a lot of people's intuition would be like, I gotta be intense, you know, yeah. but to, but to, but slowing everything down or like, you know, when you're trying to get a loud room to listen to you is to talk quieter. So everyone yeah. has to come in. It's like, that's not my impulse. My impulse is always to be like, listen to me, you know, <laughs> Hey, Hey, I'm a Terminator. I'm going to beat you up, you know? Yeah. But it's not, uh, it, it, it's much, it, it, it's, it's really interesting to take the because I feel like in a lot of cases the opposite choice can work. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're in the gray area in between where you haven't decided, but if you make a really strong decision, you know, and you're really committed to that mm-hmm. to that choice, that there's a lot of different ways, you know, that you can attack a thing. Mm-hmm. Did you ever? And, th- and 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 you hope it's right. I mean, I you know I. I Every, every time you, you go do a job or, or any, uh, you know, or any other audition that, you know, actors have out there, you got to have some choices made up. You've got to commit to something, even if they adjust it while you're in the room, you've, you, you still have got to, you know, commit to something like you're saying. Yeah. And does it, uh, I'm just repeating what you're saying. No, no, Chris. that's okay. It makes me feel like sometimes I actually make points that are, that it's, make sense. Absolutely right. But, uh, have you ever been in a situation where, you know, you go in with a character in the audition and they go, great, and then you get on set and the director's like, okay, now different, you know, and it's not at all what you brought in? Yeah, but if you've, uh, I think that if you've done your work, uh, you've already thought about so many different scenarios, you're kind of prepared to go different ways. I mean, like I said before, I still work with a coach. I mean, I, I have a guy that if I'm I'm feeling... I need an, an extra brain to look at what I'm doing and help me explore some other avenues that I'm not thinking of. I'll bring him in and look it over and, and work on stuff before I, before I show up to go to work. That's kind of my job. My prep work is my business, you yeah. know what I mean, when I show up. So I like to try to have different you know, directions to go with something in case somebody says, I, you know, you got to do something different. It's very rarely ever happened to me. I'll get like a very adjustment this way or that way, you know, like – Maybe try it this way, where it's you know, uh, whatever, whatever the adjustment sure, would sure. be. But and and you'll you'll, but that you know, if if you if you're really working with a director like Jimmy Mangold, we were talking earlier about shooting in yeah. in in, in, in uh, Memphis. He directed Walk the Line. He also directed Copland. Those are two of my favorite performances I've ever done. And he was, he's one of my favorite directors I've ever worked with because uh, I, we just work really well together. Uh, he's always been able to communicate to me specifically what he wants in a way that I really respond to. Uh, so it's, I feel it's every time I work with him, it's a real collaborative Mm -hmm. and I don't always feel that way with some directors, you know? Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's an opportunity you look for, you know, uh, a director that you trust his taste and direction and vision of what he's trying to do. You yeah, because I, I, and they're two totally distinctly different characters. One's a New York cop, badass 
cop guy, and then the other's Johnny Cash's daddy, you know? Yeah. Because you don't know, because some, you know, in some cases, you know, the actor is a little more in control, or the performer's a little more in control. In other cases, you kind of hope the director's in control and knows and knows what they're doing, because basically... You don't exactly know what he's shooting or how exactly he's going to lay it out. So you have to sort of, you want, you need to be able to trust him. You got to be able to trust the guy, you know? So you, cause you're the one that's going to. It's your ass on the line. Absolutely. Your ass on the line. When people think of, when, I think when people judge directors, they don't necessarily think performances. They go, oh, the shots were weird. It was, it was edited. It looked weird. They don't go, oh, he, he maybe didn't give that actor the best you know, environment to shine in or didn't pick the best takes, it's usually going to be like, that guy, that actor sucks. You know, like you're going to take the heat for all, for all of the right. performance related right. stuff. Yeah, It's so true. And you, you've got to be able to pick through and figure out quickly. Is this, is this somebody I trust? And I, you know, I want to work with, uh, and, 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 you know, and I go back from film to TV so much that, there's just some act, uh, directors that I respond to, and and some guys I kind of kind of keep myself a little bit more guarded, and mm-hmm. uh, no matter what they say, I kind of resist uh, and keep going the path that I'm going, the way I'm going with it, you know, and I, and, and make them. F- well, I, should, I don't want to reveal too much of how I approach that, but you know, there's some guys that you you, you know you 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 Daniel Espinosa is another director mm-hmm. I, I worked with in Safe House. Mm-hmm. This guy had I I wasn't prepared for. Uh, the specifics of how he saw this character wasn't prepared for uh, uh, some of the ideas he had just because I, I didn't really realize he was that deep of a, a director per se. I mean, I, I don't know why I underestimated his uh, ability to work with actors, but he was amazing and he had great ideas. And uh, I, I would just stand there and go, God damn, I'm, you know, why the fuck didn't I think of that? That's a great way to go. Let's do that. You know what I mean? So you got to, you still got to be open, yeah. Because it may come from somebody you you wouldn't expect it to yeah. come from. But I think a lot of it, what you said, I think, really kind of resonates was is because I I always thought of acting as like, oh, that's the thing you do on set, you know, like that's the. But you're like, no, all the work's in the prep, and yeah. I never approached it that way. Yeah. Never thought. I just never thought of it that way. It's like you have to be, all your work has to be mostly done by the time you get there, so that you're just basically just reciting this thing you know that you've already figured out yeah while being flexible at the same time absolutely that uh, most all the work that i do for my stuff is the stuff i do up at my compound up there in my office banging my heads on the wall you know and 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 if like i said if i want to bring somebody in i'll i'll I'll, I'll work with him and uh, we'll go over it and i do it by myself and you just try it different ways and and uh, then you just walk on a set and try to be confident and deliver you know, and it's acting's really about the confidence thing. You know, I mean, if you're not confident standing in front of a camera, it's going to show. Yeah. So how do you do that? There's only one way. You got to be prepared. Right. You got to know you're ready. Confident people seem to at least, even if they're lying to themselves, it doesn't matter. It as doesn't long matter as, they as long as they, they believe it. Yeah. As exactly. Long as they and that's what I'm talking about because that's what matters. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you know a lot of people think of confidence as a sort of like. This, for lack of a better term, a filter that goes up where you go like, oh, I'm really awesome. But that's a result. The confidence is a result of all the hard work, of all the hard work and, and being comfortable with yourself and knowing that you know what's going on and that you have options if you need them. And so it's not like, a, you know, I think that's where people fuck up is that, you know, 
they they think that confidence is this thing where you're like, hey, everybody, I'm fucking great, you know? That's arrogance. That's arrogance. Yeah, they confuse confidence and arrogance as opposed to just being comfortable with who you are, Mm -hmm. you know? Because I would imagine that you could get really intimidating really fast by just sort of slowing down and just kind of looking at someone and going, I don't know if I really want to do it that way. And then they might go, oh, shit, as opposed to getting in someone's face. Yeah, absolutely. That's how it works. That's kind of a southern. That's sort of a southern trait, I think, of the guy that just sort of like, Mm-hmm. What was it that you were just talking about a minute? You know, and I'm like, oh, um, I don't. Then you start to get really uncomfortable when you slow down. It changes the dynamic. Still waters run deep. Yeah. How many times you hear that growing up? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the truth too. Uh, yeah, I fall back on that on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like working on a television? Do you like the schedule of the television show? Scorpion probably feels a lot like working on a movie, though, that just goes on and on. Yeah, I I love what's going on in the business right now um, because I'm I am able to jump back and forth and uh, there's there's so many great things going on the stories that are being told on television and this 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 story by Nick Santura and Nick Wooten and uh, you know um, all these guys uh, that are involved with Orsi and, and Kurtzman um, they're great stories they're really really interesting and. Um, the the it's it's a longer visit with that character mm-hmm. you know so it is it is like one big long movie mm-hmm. and the trick will be how to stay engaged with your character and take him on that that journey however long and that's determined by you know the ratings <laughs> um, but that's it's you know you can still you're getting a new story to tell with with that character it's, it's a neat thing i mean Excuse me. The longest run I've had on TV was uh, The Unit. Oh, that was such a great show. Oh, thanks, man. Oh, man, I fucking loved The Unit. Yeah, it was I'm fun. So, I totally forgot. I don't know why I forgot about it. I, t- I fucking loved The <laughs> Unit. That's cool. That was such a badass show. It was fun, yeah. It was a lot of fun. And that, that was Mamet and Sean Ryan. And they had great, great stories. And, they, they oh, you know, Sean the characters Ryan. really developed and evolved. And, uh, and you stayed engaged with it. Uh, and that's about the longest I've ever worked consecutively on TV. The other ones have been like The Sopranos was like three episodes. X-Files was two years. Unit. And what else did they do? It is uh, From Dust Till Dawn, Last Resort. Um, I mean, X-Files is, I mean, that's kind of a, so you must have worked with Vince Gilligan. Vince X-Files. I love. Vince yeah, he's got, has he been in here? Yeah. Vince has been on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't he great? His voice? He's the best. Oh, Chris, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and yeah. He, you would never. Well, you know, we can't, I can't do him, but you know that he's got a great Virginian accent isn't he a virginian i don't know if he's from but let's say he is i think he's virginian but but such an a wonderful affable brilliant man amazing with uh with the most gorgeously dark stories <laughs> brewing inside his mind isn't it it's something else but he was what a, what a great writer he was how the fuck do you come on to the x-files and it's like when you know like you know, with fucking Fox Mulder, and then it's like, okay, well, the guy that everyone's crazy about is not going to be there anymore, and then you got to step into that. Are you like, ah, shit? Or do you feel like, no, this is a challenge. I can do this. Yeah, Chris, and think back to the time. The internet was new. Right. Al Gore had not invented the internet. He hadn't thought of it yet. Uh, it was, it was, well, he had, he had thought, thought of it. He had, yeah. th- it, he had thought of it. It was, it was new. new. It, was, yeah. it was new. And, 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 and I, I remember... When I got the opportunity, 
Well, I thought this was great. My little boy was about to be born. I'd had uh, my 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 uh, my daughter was two or three. You know, she was three or four. Anyway, I was going to be working in Los Angeles. Nice, steady gig. I yeah. didn't have to worry about you know where's the next gig. That's the cool thing about TV. It's a nice, steady run, and um, it takes a little bit of uh, that stress away. But um, uh, Chris uh, gave me the opportunity. He said, "Hey, we want to bring you in with this new character, Chris Carter." And, yeah. Chris Carter. And I had met him for something before, talking about auditions. I had met him before, and I'd read for, I think it was Harsh Realm. Oh, right. And he didn't cast me, motherfucker. But it, the, the audition went so well, he immediately thought of me to replace. David, that's why you should never feel bad if you don't get a role. If you don't, if you do a good job, then it, it and you're nice to people, it still can happen. God has a way of taking care of you. It, doesn't, it works out the way it's supposed to work out. So uh, he he gave me that role, and uh, and then you know, yeah, I mean, I was very apprehensive. I mean, people love David, and you know, shit, you're, you're standing there looking at this, you know, starting this up, and God, why are they all over my ass about this? I haven't even done a goddamn thing. <laughs> They're all like pissed off. They don't want me to come do it. And don't they know I just want to try to help keep the series going? Right. For a couple more years. Right. That's what they said to me. A couple more years. Yeah. You know, we're gonna we're gonna try to keep it going. Why are the fans turning up? I didn't even do anything. You know what I mean? Because nerds hate change. Is it, and <laughs> you know, I'm telling I'm you, I'm speaking to the nerd community exactly. right now. If you if you had if Duchovny had come in and you were first, they would have been like, "Fuck this guy." This. This piece of shit was on Red Shoe Diaries. He's going to come on and be on X-Files now and replace Robert Packard bullshit. Like, it just <laughs> changes back. Like, people, it fucks with their... Because in a world that feels very... Um, where, where we just feel constantly out of control and we, you know, like, we're always trying to find something to hold on to. When our, our entertainment is where people hook in a lot of their, like, as long as I can rely on this. Right. I feel okay at the end right. of the day. Right. And when that changes, it's like, my world, my ground beneath my feet, you know? So yeah. that's, that's what it is. People just hate having... But then, you know, then they come... You always know, like, you know, you're going to get upset for a minute, but if you just stick around, it's all going to be okay, and you're going to fall in love with this new character, and everything's going to be okay. And that's where the, the, the Vince Gilligan and Chris Carter uh, were so smart with the way they handled the character. Because the first scene... I don't know if you recall. I don't know if you're an X Files fan, but the first scene is me. <laughs> I love it when he does that. I was. I was a fan. I was. Uh, was Jillian throwing water in my face? That was my first scene. <laughs> she throws water in my face when I start asking questions about David Duchovny or, or Fox Mulder. And I think at that point, then the audience went, oh, that's what I wanted to do to that guy. Anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then they kind of were a little bit more accepting. But it was, you know, it was uh, from the get-go. It was never said I was there to replace anybody. Right. I was just there to be a new character, and David was going to take a, a little hiatus. And they did bring him back. He actually direct, directed an episode I did. Um, actually, maybe two. We got to act together, uh, which was great. He's a wonderful actor. Oh, yeah. Great director. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I love the opportunity. Jillian was wonderful. She was very uh, warm and, uh, you know, I was wa I gracious. Would wa I would watch the – it's FX. Is it run on FX? Uh, uh, I think it's on El Rey. It's on Robert Rodriguez's network. El Ray has the full they nine have the full seasons of the X-Files. It's also on um, Chiller. Chiller. 
Do you watch it ever occasionally? It's I still uh, I mean like the DVR picks it up so it's like I, sometimes I just forget what channel what whatever's on but it's There's so fun. many channels now so many fucking channels man. <laughs> but it, it but it's it's fun because the my my one the one thing that I love about like the the title sequence first of all is just yeah. like it's <laughs> but besides that. But the the graphics and everything, it's like this feels so nineties. And yeah, like yeah. the show, the stories hold up. But I a lot of times it's like I can't take my eyes off Jillian Anderson's shoulder pads. Like it's yeah, like that 90s, yeah, 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 like yeah. those nineties yeah. jackets and yeah. Duchovny's kind of like his. He's kind of got the pouty emo face, you yeah. know. Like it's so, it's so nineties. But it totally, like the stories totally holds so up. Hysterical. <laughs> Vince wrote a, Vince wrote like one of the last episodes. I believe it was the Leave It to Beaver episode where we're in the Leave It, no, not Leave It to Beaver, excuse me. It's the uh, Brady Bunch episode mm-hmm. where we were in the Brady Bunch house. It was one of the wildest experiences I've ever had. I have to watch that again. I think he wrote that. He might have directed that as well. Do you ever? Do you ever? Uh, if you're at home and something just pops on, do you ever watch and go, "Oh yeah, this"? Do you like? Do you ever? I, you know, I don't. I'll see something and I'll maybe watch like a couple of seconds, minutes of it, and then kind of go, "I can't watch." <laughs> Can you watch yourself, or do you not like to? Once or twice, right? You know, uh, once or twice. I I do like to see. If I achieve some of the things I was trying to achieve and, you know, be aware of what I'm doing uh, or at least what I think, I, you know, what I thought I was doing. And then after that, I can't really because then I get really I start really picking on myself. And how do you know if it's you've, not good? How do you define if you've done a successful job? Well, if, if I can recall exactly what I was trying to achieve and if I feel like it it came off that way, I mean, it's hard to I, I think it's hard to articulate. Uh, you just know. Yeah, you get a real strong, and then you also watch stuff and you go, "Ah, shit, I didn't do that right," or they didn't use the right edit, and why didn't they? You know, why did they take that take and they trim that? And it was a better take when I was this, or oh, I know why they didn't do that. You know, I kind of get into that thing. It's it's funny because acting is, you know, I rely on everybody else, the crew, everybody, you know, to get to do what I do. And ultimately, the performances, it, it, it's, I give it away. Yeah. You know, it's the directors, it's the editors, and they can, even, they can either save me or, or destroy what I'm trying to do. Um, so you've got to learn camera techniques that allow you to not get dropped on the editing room <laughs> floor. And, uh, you know, you listen to other people in character. That works. Yeah. Because they'll cut back to you and... You know what I mean? You get the head nod. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to kind of pay attention to what's going on. But anyway, um, you know, ultimately you give it away and it's it's somebody else's art form. Yeah. And you're a part of it. Do you, um, <clears throat> what do you do with your free time? Do you have, is there anything that you like to do that's, or do you have, do you have free time at all these days? I ride motorcycles. Uh-huh. And. Uh, you did some Sons of Anarchy too, right? I did one. I was supposed to do some more this season, but Scorpion uh, precluded that from happening, which is one of those instances where I referenced earlier where I wish I could do all the things that I get the opportunity to do because I really 
I love that show, and I love those guys working with them, and I fit right in. And uh, I know Paris Barkley, the executive producer, mm-hmm. and Billy Garrett, one of the directors. And uh, I don't know Kurt that well, but I know he knows of me. I've met him a couple times, and um, I wanted to do that uh, and be a part of it. That, that that character was set up to come back this year. Uh-huh. So, But, you know, Scorpion came along, and it's um, – you know, business-wise, you got to do what you got to do at the right time, and, yeah. and uh, they started filming earlier, and I'm very happy with Scorpion. But uh, you know, who knows down the road? Maybe I get to work with those guys in some other way. So, what kind of what kind of motorcycle do you? Ride? I'm a Harley Davidson guy. Okay. Uh, uh, a big old bagger, and I got a Springer Custom. I actually ride and and ride with a real motorcycle club, the Booze Fighters Motorcycle Club. It was founded in 1946 in Los Angeles, California, and I'm the boss of the chapter here in L.A. Oh shit. So it's two years older than the Hell's Angels. Okay. And uh, a lot of the early booze fighters became Hell's Angels uh, after the 40s. My chapter is a a nonprofit that raises money for disabled vets. Nice. And, uh, you know, I've I've been involved with them for about eight years. It's a drinking club with a motorcycle problem. (laughs) It's... it's you know it's it's Chris is like do you play golf do you do it you don't have any free time I don't have any free time so but if you play golf sure let's say when I when I when I my stress release is to go out and ride the motorcycle I usually do a coast to coast trip once a year um, and sometimes I go solo yeah most of the time I ride with a buddy of mine's a Vietnam vet and we'll ride into D.C. and we'll we'll go to the Vietnam Wall for Memorial Day and I'll go to Walter Reed in Bethesda and and sort of tie in my U.S.O involvement with this uh, enthusiasm i have for motorcycles and um it's just a great way to get out and be alone and just the wide open country in your eyes and the romantic dreams in your head to quote from bruce springsteen it's uh it's just a great vibe and if i was a golfer you know i would have joined like a golf club right but i didn't i joined a, a motorcycle club with a bunch of other a golf club Crazy where motorcycle if uh, someone steps out of line, you beat the shit out of them with a nine iron, and then you throw them out on the street. And you're like, don't come back to the, see the booze golfers again. <laughs> the booze golfers. Yeah. The booze golfers. <laughs> That's funny. A lot of booze fighters do play golf. They do play golf. There's, there's some booze fighters that so do are you, golf. So you, you go across country by yourself? You've done that before? I have done it. I have done it. I, I like I, I go prefer- crazy. Well... It's lonely. It's it's, but that solitude is kind of med- very meditative, and uh, it's you know it's very peaceful. You can really get lost in America. Oh, I know. I've been across the country smart. lots of times. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. and there's some really great. I always say to people that you should be a tourist in this country because there's so many interesting parts that you. Ne- I mean, like. I remember I was driving across country and came across this town called Hayes, Kansas that I never would have thought to go to. And it was a really cool town yeah. in the middle of Kansas. Local music, yeah. local restaurants. Uh, the people are great. Uh, you know, you put that full face helmet on and they don't know who they're riding next to. You know what I mean? And and you're just out there in the country. It's, it's pretty cool. I enjoy it. I've had a few, you know, experiences. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, you know, a flat on the Mexican border, 100 miles from Tucson. Oh, shit. Trying to figure out what to do there. What'd you do? Well, I had all these real big decisions to make. A, do I continue to ride 
or do I, you know, take my knife and cut the tire off and ride the rim? Mm-hmm. I don't have any water. I got cigars. Why the fuck didn't I bring water? <laughs> I don't have anything to eat. I don't have a protein bar. Why the fuck? Who, what fucking idiot rides across the <laughs> desert? It's 106 degrees, and you don't have water or a biscuit or something to eat or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got, you got Mexico over here. You got Tucson's 100 miles away. Now we're going to do, asshole. What did you do? And you stand there, and I will tell you, you stand there, and you know the feeling. Oh. Nature just rises up around you, and all of a sudden, you're just standing there, you know, under God, going, oh, my God, I'm so insignificant. <laughs> I'm out in the middle. None of this. You know, this is pretty cool. It's actually, a, it's kind of a cool experience to go through. So what did I do, Chris? Yep. Of course, I remembered I had my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I had my AAA card. <laughs> I got motorcycle coverage. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Let's see if this will work. I had reception, called AAA, and had to sit there for, you know, several hours before Manuel showed up with the flatbed to take my, my bike into the uh, Tucson Harley-Davidson and, and have it uh, a new tire put on. That's fantastic. It's, it's about a it's, – it, yeah, that's not a very uh, – you know, a lot of bikers would be out there in, their, in, in podcast land going – Wait a minute! What you should have done was taken off that back rail. I wonder what our d- biker demographic is. You know, although listening to podcasts if you're riding across country is probably a good thing to do. Well, I have uh, the Harley Bagger. I'll do a little plug for Harley. I uh, I have Sirius Radio on it, so I can listen to like the E Street Channel the whole way or Outlaw oh, wow. Radio. You can listen. You got a 150 watt sure. amp, and you can hear it. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. Uh, you got navigation if you want. I mean, it's, it's, with all this technology, uh, it's pretty easy. Yeah, you know, and I swear to you, when I do this, I, I don't take that much. Yeah. You know, I literally go like, all right, I need like, you know, six pairs of underwear. I'll get me there. And yeah, you know what I mean? You're sweating the whole time because it's hotter now. And you have to, you're wearing leather basically. You got, and, you, when you, and you're wearing, you got your stuff to put on. I, I, I rode through a, a tornado in Sioux Falls, Idaho. Which was very funny story. I was with uh, my buddy New York Mike and uh, Rusty, this other old biker guy, and we we were getting we we finally had to get off the road because we're we're literally we're hydroplaning and being blown off the road, and we're we pull off on this exit, and I swear to God, I'm not making this up. There was a huge billboard, white, and in bold black letters, it said, "Prepare to meet." Thy God. <laughs> well, I guess this and is it. Got off this Stuckies. Stuckies. And it was abandoned. Of course it was. It's right? a Stuckies. Because it's gone. Uh, they're, they're gone. And we're literally standing there and we're huddled up in this thing and we've got our full face on and all our rain gear and shit and we're watching debris starting to go and we positioned our Harley so that they would be into the wind and literally closed them all down and we're just sitting there watching the roof come off the old gas station. Holy and we're shit. going, holy motherfuck, what we're going to do, you know. And I'm yelling at the guys, if this gets really bad, we got to run into one of those storm ditches over there. And we got to conquer down in there and kind of hang on, man. This is, you know, life or death kind of thing. 
it, 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 that then, was amazing. And, and then you remembered and, you had your cell phone. And then you, no, I'm well, kidding. Well, no, in that case, you know, the cell phone <laughs> doesn't thing. matter. But then, uh, you know, uh, Kansas, I've been through a snowstorm by myself, uh, a tornado by myself. Uh, uh, it was a bad um, hailstorm. And then the very next day, I'm riding through the Rockies, and it's snow. You know, and you're you're on a Harley riding through semis <laughs> with semis, you know, like riding in their trail and you got to get through the Rockies and out the Vail Pass. And Oh, my God. It's pretty cool, That's man. fucking terrifying. But how else are you going to get, you know, those kind of experiences and all that? Internet. In your, it feeds into your feeds into <laughs> Video your games. Yeah, but this... This feeds into your craft, and uh, you know. No, that, listen. If I had the stones, if I had the stones to do it, I would. You know, yeah. like I. I mean, it sounds like, but I just. I go. No, I'd get up there and I'd just go. Oh, fuck! What? Fuck this! Why would I do this? You know? Like, can you just give me a ride back? I'd get in with a trucker. Just take the bike. I don't give a shit anymore. Well, the earlier question you had. Sometimes I have to admit. Sometimes you get on it and you're just kind of going like, Why didn't I decide to do this again? Oh yeah, that's right. right. But I guess like if you you know, but if you if you stick if you stick it out. Sometimes the rewards are revealed later. It's it's you gotta it's be patient, just like with acting, like anything. You exactly, know? you got to put your head down. By the way, I'm pretty sure I met your son. Was he working on the Corolla show? My son. Yeah. No, because he's only 14. Oh, okay. Then no, I didn't mean. I thought. But I. I, meant... but I uh, uh, who 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 did Adam you... Carolla? Yeah, no, I know Adam Carolla, but I don't know uh, what who somebody was claiming I to be my I son. A, I thought I met a guy, and he, I thought he said, "Oh yeah, Robert married my dad." Maybe I maybe I invented that in my head. Well, I don't think I have a son old enough to be working on Adam Carolla, but I do have what a 17 year old daughter and a 14 year old son. What if he's sneaking out at night to work on a podcast and you didn't even know it? Dad, I want to be a podcaster. Son, no! You, he, he'd be, probably be pretty good. What, what do you think, Sue? He'd be good at it, right? He'd be good at it. Do, do your kids have any interest in the business at all? Or do they... Funny you should ask that, what? Chris. Interesting. Funny you should ask that. My daughter. She's studying at Strasburg right now. Oh, well, I guess so. That's yeah, pretty serious. And uh, college she's going to go to, uh, she wants to study acting there and she's gone away on some summer camps at sarah lawrence and done some oh, wow some drama stuff i haven't <clears throat> excuse me i haven't le- really let her try to pursue it professionally but she did do a she was in a, a um a video that baltazar getty did um she did a little acting for him and she's really good on camera i've got her working with my coach as well and i think she could have a huge career and, and i'm at that point now where you know, I want to let her be a teenager and finish school. Sure. I'm not so sure I want her to do it professionally, and yet I work with other professional young people like Madison Davenport, who sure. played my daughter on From Dust Till Dawn, and she's a wonderful, you know, wonderful young lady. And so I, you know, she's going to have to find her way, my daughter. But I want her to benefit from all the nepotism that I did not. I'll tell you that much. You know what I mean? I so mean, you're I, saying the banking industry did not help at no, all get no, you into yeah, yeah, that, that didn't film. Ha- that didn't help at all. Didn't help at all. But uh, but I'm going to do whatever I can to kind of help her and and hopefully you'll hear from her someday. Austin Patrick is her name. Ah, oh, that's a that's a. That's Austin. like a superhero name. It is, isn't it? Austin Jessica Patrick. Austin AJ Patrick. She got her name. Daddy, Daddy got arrested in Austin, Texas. What? Going way back. What? Way back. Did you shoot a man just to watch him die? I didn't do that. Okay. I was drunk on 6th Street. Oh. (laughs) You you can get arrested for that? I thought that's what I thought. Well, it's public intoxication. Oh, no. 6th Street. You're supposed to do that in Austin. That's why it's there, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was... uh, 
Yeah, that and uh, yeah, that's where she got her name. Oh, uh, that's and she's really proud of that. That's, that's a good. Where were you in jail? Just they put you in drunk tank for the night. I was there for eighteen hours. My wife too, actually. Actually, we were riding around. the The real story wasn't Sixth Street. The real story is we were riding around looking for a friend of mine who was getting married, and he lived in a, a hot and toddy part of you know a rich part of Austin, Texas. And we'd flown in for the uh, wedding, and I was a broke, out of work actor. I think I. I don't know. I think maybe I'd done Die Hard 2. Yeah, I had because my wife and I were engaged. We weren't married. And we were having a hard time finding his place. And they thought we were casing the neighborhood. And I looked kind of like I look now, but a lot more vagrany. (laughs) And uh, uh, they uh, threw us in jail. Oh, shit. They thought we were casing the neighborhood. And the cops kind of separated me and the wife. And. She wasn't intoxicated, for the record. I was. That's why she was driving. And uh, I, I went after him. I kind of, you know, and the next thing I know, I was up against the wall. Yeah, that's not a good handcuffed idea. And, yeah, yeah, I'm good. lucky I didn't really get, like, you know, something else, some other charge. But, uh, yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, uh, and the other reason she's named Austin is, of course, that was my character's name in T2. Right. And I didn't know if I was going to have another kid. So I said, eh, hey, we'll give her a cool name. Like give her Austin. a cool name. Yeah, Austin, very special place for you. Yeah. Well, uh, we're, this is the end. Dude, you're awesome. Come on. You are awesome, dude. Dude, thank you. This was so much fun. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled we worked together, and thanks for reminding me of that. Thank and, you. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Well, I got, I got so excited when I came in for that because they were like, you're going to be Green Arrow. And I'm like, fuck yeah. And so I did two episodes, and when we showed up to that recording... I was like, oh, this is going to be great, and I'm sure there's going to be a spin-off. Like, I go to all these places. Uh, right? Sure. <laughs> and Andrea Romano, Andrea Romano walks in right before we start, and she was like, so this is going to be the last episode the series is ending. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. no! Oh, yeah, no! And that was the last episode. So they had all, they had everyone there. It was like, you know, Green Arrow and Hawkman, and like, they had everyone, they had everyone there, like all of the, so it wasn't. Aren't those fun? They're great. We didn't really talk about that. We, we talked a little bit about some of the voiceovers I were doing, but. That's difficult acting. You think so? Voiceover acting? I love it. I've been doing it for 10 years. I've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. My hat's off to you. No, it's, I I just like. uh, I'm lost in there sometimes. I I don't know how to do that because my stuff is so camera oriented that I have a hard time getting to that place. That's why you need someone like Andrea Romano who's so good at telling you like. You got to be bigger. Yeah. Because there are, there are. I feel like with voiceover, there are tricks that you can do to affect a performance that you couldn't get away with doing if someone was looking at you. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, especially especially if you're really tired, but you got to sound like you're up. Like, you can still, yeah. it doesn't matter what your face yeah. is doing, you can still sound the way that you're supposed to sound. But it, it's to people like Andrea who, you know, single-handedly, like, she was responsible for, like, the this, well, the original golden era of Warner Brothers would have been the Chuck Jones and Robert... Uh, Clampett years but the second golden age of Warner Brothers animation was Andrea Romano was like Animaniacs you know the original Batman series the Batman like all that stuff was she did all the voices casting for all that so you know she's she's a legend yeah no it's great that we it's great that we had the opportunity to work with her so maybe that's one of the reasons I don't get to go back that much is (laughs) because they have to really pull it out of me well uh uh Tell old Cat McPhee that Chris Hardwick says hi. Absolutely, my and, man. And since we're talking about voiceover, um, 
I would love it if you would sign off the podcast by just telling people in whatever manner you want, just say, enjoy your burrito. That's how we sign off the podcast. Nerdist, enjoy your burrito. Oh, he did the husk part. <laughs> so good. It's always better to go down. You got to go down. Down into the diaphragm. I think so. It's nice. When I start getting way up here with the acting. <laughs> hey, kids, get off my goddamn lawn. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, go to Squarespace.com. Use the offer code NERDIST. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.